Good morning, church. It's so good to be back with you on this sunny Sunday morning. It's been an epic week, hasn't it? Seen some sunshine, the temperature's gone up. It's been good. Just a massive thank you to our worship team leading us so brilliantly there. Please give them some thanks and show your gratitude in the chat boxes. But you may have noticed that I am wearing a red cross. It's not an accident. As I was leaving to preach today, my wife said, you've got a red cross on your hand. I said it was on purpose. And here's what it is. Um, today and this week is uh, hashtag end it week. Maybe you want to put that in the chat, chat box right, right now. Hashtag end it. And what it is, is, is it's the anti-slavery movement. Do you know that more than 40 million people are in slavery today? That's more than ever before in the history of our planet. We live in a world where we think this isn't happening and it's happening more and more and more. And uh, this movement is really about bringing awareness. So the Red Cross on the hands makes people say, what's that for? It helps you to talk about it. But awareness on its own isn't going to shift anything. We need some action. And so there's a group of churches, a group of, uh, of, of ministries and people that have come together to really push together. And the group that we support is International Justice uh, Mission. It's, it's like IJM and we get behind them and we offer people the opportunity to sow in five pounds per month that goes to IJM. And what that does is it builds up a pot so that when they find some, some often children who are caught up in the sex trade, they're able to go in and send lawyers in to free them and to prosecute the perpetrators. And it brings an end to it. So it's not just knowing about it, it's actually bringing an end to it. Sarah and I have sown our five pounds a month in for many years, and we know there are children out there who aren't in slavery anymore because we bothered. And so if that stirs you a little bit to say, oh, I could give five pounds a month, how about you just make yourself known, put it in the chat box, email the church, just, just reach out to someone and we'll make it happen for you. But come on, hashtag end it. You, can, you type that into a Google search and the, the things will come up and the, the group we support is IJM and it's a good thing. Come on, it's not okay in our time for children to be put through the sex trade. It's not okay for forced labour. It's not okay for human trafficking. It's just not okay. So here's my Red Cross, hashtag end it. Come on, let's get behind that church. But that was an aside because I'm going to preach to you today. I hope you've really enjoyed our sessions on marriage the past couple of weeks. And on the back of that, I'm going to do three sessions, which I'm calling Hot Picks. And the reason I'm doing three sessions is because I believe in the time I've been in ministry, in the time I've prepared people for marriage and helped people in marriage, there are three main areas that cause conflict, that cause tension, that are difficult to overcome. And the three areas are these, sex, money, and power. Nearly every um, difficulty you're going to face in relationship will probably fall into one of those three categories or even more than one of those three categories. And here's the thing. I want to talk about this stuff because I want you to win. And more importantly, God wants you to win. And I'm sure you want to win. So rather than skip across some of these tricky topics, let's talk about them. Let's think about them. Let's get some thought processes going. But most importantly, from my perspective, and I hope yours, let's get God's perspective on them. Let's get a biblical lens on these topics so that as we make life choices going forward, and as we create behaviors going forward, we're actually doing life God's way, and it brings with it blessings of heaven. You will succeed. So today, I'm going to talk about sex. You know, anyone who knows me, anyone who knows our church, we never duck the difficult topics. And let's face it, 
sex is a difficult thing to talk about. You will notice that today I'm on my own. My wife hasn't joined me. She dipped out of this one. No, that's not quite fair. We just felt it was the best way to handle it. And later on, you're going to hear from my awesome wife, Sarah. She's got a few thoughts to share. Please pray for me because you need to know this. On Sunday when we watch this, I'll be sitting there watching it with my children and it's me doing the talking. So pray for me. But well, come on, let's not duck it. Let's talk about it. I think that most people would understand the Christian viewpoint on sex, would understand God's viewpoint on sex, and I believe it's the best viewpoint. Uh, most people have an opinion on that, but here's where I want to go. When you consider why we believe what we believe, it's helpful. And people who have an opinion and then start going, oh, oh, I see that. So we want to unpack a little bit of the why we believe what we believe today as we consider the whole sexual side of our lives. So we know, don't we, we've talked about it in the past couple of weeks, that God instigates and lays out marriage right at the beginning with Adam and Eve. And we're going to talk about them a little bit later, so I won't unpack that. But can we take it as a given that God instigated marriage and he put Adam and Eve right in there? So I want to start with a couple of verses here. 1 Corinthians and chapter 7 and verse 5, I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says this, Do not deprive one another. This is talking to married couples. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time, that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So here is God unpacking through the Apostle Paul in his word how marriage should look, and what the sexual side of marriage should look. And I like this, don't deprive one another. In other words, don't hold back. Have sex, have lots of it. You see, my God's a good God. And that was his, that's his backdrop for sex. The idea is God says, let's get in the, in the marriage environment and then let's get jiggy. And it's all good. God made it that way. Do it as often as you want. That is God's heart. My God's a good God and here's the thing. He made people sexual beings. He created in us sexual drives and desires. And I believe, it's my understanding at least, that we're the only creature on the planet that has sex for pleasure and not purely for procreation. God made it that way. He's a good God. And all these wrestles we have with sex, let's not start saying God's boring and God doesn't get it. He created it that way. But he created it within a context. God is pretty cool. Check this out. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4, again in the New King James Version, this is what it says, Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is honourable among all. There we go. Marriage is the right thing. And the bed undefiled. When it's talking about the bed, it's talking about the sexual relations within the marriage context. Marriage is honourable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You know, I, Old school words there, fornicators. Fornication is really two people having sex that aren't married at all. And adulterers is someone having sex outside of their marriage when they are married. So this, this is God's word on it all. But this is what I love. In the marriage context, the marriage bed is undefiled. And a good interpretation of that could be when you're married, when there's the two of you, and when you're considering your sexual life, knock yourself out. You know, if you like your man to dress up as Batman and run around the room, go for it. It's all good. Nothing wrong with that. If that's what you like. If you want to hang from the chandeliers and swing around a little bit, go for it. Why? Because in the marriage context, it's undefiled. God looks on it and goes, knock yourself out, guys. 
Enjoy yourselves. I made you this way. And we're all different and we all look different and we all have different desires. But when we come together in agreement, in the marriage context, the bed is undefiled and God blesses it. You see, here's the thing. I'm sure that people look at the Christian viewpoint and look at God and go, he doesn't get it. But he so does. But he puts in it these boundaries which actually help us. God isn't trying to hamper anyone's experience of life. It's the exact opposite of that. He's wanting us to flourish, to thrive, to excel, to enjoy, and to have the most satisfaction, not the least. So uh, where do you think we've come to? Here we are in the year 2021. We think we've evolved into better creatures and all the rest of it. So where's it all come to in this arena? Well, I think it's fair to say that we're living in a world where it's much less of a norm to keep sex for marriage. I would say it's almost looked down upon and frowned upon. Probably people who take that stance have had some Mickey taking on, on their journey in life. That's the way it is. And it's this concept that people feel like they're missing out if they don't add sex to the, to the menu of things that are available in their lives. You know, people feel like they're missing out if it's not on the menu. And we watch lots of TV and films and there's this underlying and sometimes overlying theme of, of, of sex and it's in your face. I remember as I was growing up, Friends was the big thing to watch and I've watched them all multiple times and they're, they're repeating again on various channels and still make me chuckle looking back on it. But there was always this underlying thing that they're sleeping around. And it was just the normal. And they're not necessarily promoting it, but it's in the picture and it's getting in your thinking that that's the normal way to carry on. Imagine the gazillions of people have watched that and just thought, that's normal. But it isn't normal to God. And we need to understand why. And we need to understand what decisions are you going to make. I think we've come such a long way in what I view as a negative context that we end up with this program that you may or may not have heard of called Naked Attraction. And the, the concept really is, rather than go dating and meet each other and decide whether you like each other, see the person naked first and then decide if you want to date with them. Completely topsy-turvy. And, you know, we chuckle along at those things, but what a situation we find ourselves in where that's the way we're promoting life and sexuality. Come on, we need to start thinking, what's going on here and where do I sit with it? And here's something I've observed. In the past few years, I've been to lots of weddings, many in our church context, many that I've had the privilege of being part of, and some that I've just attended. And here's what I've noticed. They are always emotional. Come on, if you've been to a wedding, especially if it's a friend of yours or a relative, they're emotional. Even the guys get choked up. Why? Why is that? And I believe it's because there's this deep desire in us to love and to be loved, and to love and be loved in the context of a lifelong commitment where you're going to say, we're staying together. There's some deep depth in us that says, that's what we really want. And it brings itself out in the wedding day because I look around and men and women are choked up because we believe in the concept. We want to be committed. We want to run the course together. We want to be in it. But our reality is that marriage is often difficult. There's ups and downs in that. And what's happening is rather than commit to marriage and all that that brings with it, people are substituting the commitment to live together and walk out life together for the thrill of the moment in sex. And in that sexual encounter, they feel special. They feel like the focus is on me and you right now. 
we're coming together and I feel special and I feel loved and I think particularly probably from a female perspective they feel the embrace and the warmth of a man and they feel special and then often for the guy and not only the guy nowadays I think for women there's the bravado afterwards of the conquest and, and the thrill of the chase and, and, and what happened on the night and all these kind of things but my question is this where does it lead where does that lifestyle lead does it lead to a hope-filled flourishing life full of love and satisfaction and commitment or is it a shadow is it actually a shadow of the things we really want that I've seen expressed on a wedding day by men and women and I concern myself that we're just going along without stopping and thinking about it deeply and actually we're not getting what we hoped for we're getting a shadow of what we hope for is putting sex on the menu actually making people's lives better in the long run and it's a great question to ask yourselves so looking at it from God's perspective God has given us boundaries not because he's a killjoy we've established he's definitely not a killjoy he created the whole thing but he does give us boundaries and boundaries are good because they bring fulfillment and happiness and help us aim towards a goal look at it this way Imagine playing a football match with no boundaries, no lines on the pitch, no referee to bring it into, into line. They would be, you'd be trying to kick the ball and be going miles over there and someone would run up and boot you up in the air. People would be getting hurt. They'd be cheating. It'd be just a complete mess. There'd be chaos because there's no boundaries. And it's exactly the same in life. If there's no boundaries in life, it just leads to chaos. And people are getting hurt in the name of pleasure. People are getting hurt in the name of doing what they think is best according to themselves instead of stopping and thinking, what's my real goal? What do I really want? Where do I really want to end up? And putting boundaries around that so you go in the right direction. You see, in God's economy, sex is for marriage. That's the boundary he put around it. We've already established that. And it's a, it's a place where sex can thrive in, a, in an area of commitment, of respect, of love, of that whole idea of loving the other one above yourself. That creates a backdrop to, for you to explore a lifelong sex journey together where it's just healthy and good. So let's have a look at the why. Why does God say it's for marriage? Why? Let's have a look at now there are many many reasons why but I want to look at one major one for the sake of this preach and let's have a look at it I think there is a prevailing thought process in our world that goes something like this if it's two consenting adults and we don't get pregnant and we don't get disease then what's the harm we both enjoyed it it was all good fun and we move on you've probably come across this I've definitely come across this you may have even thought that but here's where I want to bring us back to Adam and Eve. This is in Genesis chapter 2. This is right at the beginning of time when God said, I've created mankind, I've put sexuality in them, and here is the backdrop where it's going to thrive best. Have a look at this. Genesis 2 and verse 24. Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Here's the backdrop. We can see it. You leave your parents. You come together in a marriage context. And the word there is they are joined together. You know, God laying it out right at the beginning of humanity. Now, here's what I want to say. That word there, joined, 
In some translations, it will say unite, but it means the same thing. That word they're joined in Hebrew is a Hebrew word, debak, D-A-B-A-Q, debak. And it means this, it means to cling to or to stick. You see, the reality is that when you come into a sexual relationship, God has deemed it that when you come together, you cling, you stick. You see, it's not just the joining of two people where you have the physical act and you walk away. Sex was never like that. It wasn't made like that by our creator. It just isn't like that. It's much a deeper thing. You see, it's the joining of two people where souls are blending, where there's an emotional bond, a spiritual bond, a physical bond. You bond all of those areas all at the same time. And you can't just walk away from that. I want to give you just a quick demonstration just for a moment, which I hope will stick with you and I hope will help you to remember something. I've got right here, I'm going to put my microphone down. I have got here an envelope and some sellotape. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to stick this sellotape on the envelope. Just like that. So here we are, they're coming together, they're sticking. But when you rip it off, what happens? Some of the envelope is on the sellotape. Some of the sellotape is on the envelope. You see, you can't just walk away. Because what has happened is you've united. The back has happened. You've joined. It's not just that I did that and I walk away. Much more has happened. Sex isn't just a spiritual, it isn't just a physical thing. It's spiritual and emotional too. There's a colliding of two people and God deemed it that they would come together and be one. So when you separate, what happens? You inevitably have some form of sticking. Here's the thing. You can wear a condom and that will protect you from pregnancy and it will protect you from disease but you can't wear a condom on your heart and soul and when you come together it is much more than a physical act and when people are separating what they're really doing is giving a small piece of themselves away and receiving a small piece of someone else and then here's the issue you imagine that person then goes and sleeps with someone else and that person goes and sleeps with someone else and what's happening is people are giving little bits of themselves away little bits of themselves away because they think it's just a physical act and it never was made that way by our creator it's much more than that and people are colliding in spiritual terms and in emotional terms and in physical terms all at the same time and they're walking away and they're just giving a little bit of themselves away a little bit of themselves away and then what's happening is this they meet the person they want to spend their life with but they're not whole anymore they've hurt themselves they're not complete there's wounds from the past there's memories there's things gone on and people's hearts are hardening through frustration, through disappointment, through hurt, through so many experiences that didn't quite work out how you thought. And people's hearts are hardening. So when the right person comes along, what happens? You're not that soft hearted, fun loving person you were supposed to be. You're someone who's been through a whole lot of stuff that you chose and it's hardened you. And you've lost bits of yourself on the journey and you've gained bits of someone else and it's affected you. In this kind of message, I really also like to bring in some non-biblical reference just because it brings good balance. Everyone, I'm sure, will be familiar with the scientist Einstein, arguably the most famous scientist. So this isn't a Bible-based thing here, but what science does here is backs up exactly what I'm trying to say. You can Google this if you like. But um, Einstein came up with this phrase, and it's this, 
spooky action at a distance. You Google it, spooky action at a distance. And here's what Einstein and science has proved. It showed that when two particles are intimately entangled, that even when they are pulled apart and great distance is put between them, they still affect each other. Einstein says, it's spooky. We can't quite fathom why that happens, but we can't deny it's true. It's spooky action at a distance. And it's the exact point I'm trying to make here. You collide and entangle and you separate and you think that's the end of it. But that's not just true because you're affecting each other still. So you can't just walk away and it can't just be physical because that's not how God made it. And science itself demonstrates that truth too. And so I wonder what is happening as two people are coming together, thinking it's just a sex encounter, are walking away, and they're fusing, and they're bonding, and they're uniting, and they think there's no consequences, when the reality is there are consequences. People are walking wounded. They're going and looking for a relationship, the thing they actually hope for, back to the wedding environment, the thing people really want is a lifelong commitment with someone who loves them and accepts them. A lifelong commitment to go on a journey together. That's what people really want. But we substitute it because that's hard. And so we throw ourselves into sexuality because that's just easy to find. You could probably go and find someone who sleep with you if you looked hard enough. But what are the consequences? And we're ending up with this shadow in life, which is never what we really hoped for. And we're getting affected. And so right there is a major reason why we believe what we believe because God wants us to flourish God doesn't want you walking around hurt I don't want you walking around hurt and for the sake of some moments of pleasure is it really worth it when you look at it through those eyes you know humanity is hurting itself while at the same time saying God's boundaries are stupid and I want to say come on think deeply stop and pause for a moment what are you really sowing into and what are you really hoping for and what are you doing to yourself when you stop and think about it? I believe I speak some truth. Hey, um, I want to hand over to my awesome wife, Sarah, now. She's going to share a, a few thoughts on us on a, in a similar vein, but it's great to hear from a female perspective. So I'll pass it over to my awesome wife. Here's Sarah. Hi, everybody. Just in case you was missing me, I thought I would sneak in for a quick video. And I have a great question for you this morning. When was the last time you bought a pineapple? Yes, a pineapple. I picked up this little beauty from Asda's today for about a pound. But did you know there was a time in society when a pineapple would set you back around £4,000 in around about today's money? And that was because when it was first discovered, it was seen as a highly sought after exotic fruit. Just the taste of pineapple would have been the highlight of somebody's life. And you know, they didn't even eat it. Those people that could afford one would have what they call viewing parties where they'd put it on display and people would come around just to look at it. It really was a symbol of um, a higher society or somebody who was wealthy and, and had real value and, and money. 
So what's changed? Well, the pineapple hasn't changed. It certainly looks the same and it tastes the same, but we now see them piled high in supermarkets for about a pound. Well, what's changed is that the attitude towards it has changed because they are now so widely available. Now that they are not rare, they're not special and therefore they're not treasured, meaning that the value has gone down. And I think that is such a brilliant analogy of the way that we view sex today. Something that was meant to be rare, that was meant to be treasured, that was meant to be special, we now see as something that is common. And you know, sex was meant to be something that was the opposite of common. It was meant to be treasured and special. And I think that it's such a great analogy to think of it that way. So to not throw away our values on what sex is, our decisions on honouring God with that, because it was meant to be rare, it was meant to be special, and it was never ever meant to be common, unlike the pineapple today. Hey, how good is it to hear from my amazing wife? Thank you, Sarah. I love you so much. It's my privilege to do life with you. I'm so glad God put us together and we we're able to journey through life together with all the ups and downs. But I hope, church, and, and anyone listening, and anyone who knows us, that we demonstrate something that gives you hope, that actually when you do life God's way, it brings the most amount of joy ever. And I promise you, there's a whole stack of joy in our marriage. We laugh lots and many people attest to that. I want to look now uh, just briefly at, at the Apostle Paul because sometimes we look at ourselves here in 2021 and think this is a unique situation. But actually, this whole arena of sex has been difficult for centuries. And here we find Paul um, speaking to the church in Corinth because they're, they're a church and they're living in a society with all kinds of sexual practices, all kinds of weird stuff going on. And Paul's coming in and, and he's saying, come on, we can do better than this. And I want to read you a little chunk about what he says and just unpack it briefly. It's here in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6 and verses 12 through to 20. It says this, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I, I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and, st and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the member of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never! Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two shall become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Some hard-hitting words there to the church at Corinth. And church, come on, let's unpack that. Let's grasp it. Here we find this word unite again. Would you unite yourself with a prostitute? 
This is written in Greek, this one, and the Greek word for unite there actually means glue. It's going back to the exact same point we were making. Paul is saying, would you glue yourself to a prostitute? No, of course you wouldn't. But the implication is, so why are you gluing yourself to everyone else? Because you're hurting your body. And what does he say? Flee. He says, run. Don't stand there looking, checking it out, thinking, shall I, shall I? Get out of there. Why? Because you're hurting yourself. You're attaching yourself to people and you think it's just physical and God didn't make it that way. It's like glue. You might be able to rip yourself away, but you're going to leave a piece of yourself and you're going to accept a piece of someone else and it's just making your life messy. And yet here we are called to honour God with our bodies, to honour God with our sexuality and actually submit to Him that I won't be mastered by my sex drive and my sex desires. I honour God. And in that context... He will bless me. I believe um, Christian marriages and marriages that submit to God will end up with the best sex life ever. It's funny because we've got a lot of um, unchurched married friends and, and when we talk to them, it seems like um, there's this, this idea that goes around that the best ever contraception is marriage because as soon as you get married, you stop having sex. And that seems to be a thing. And it's just like, Really? But I wonder, our theme church this year is influencers. Could the marriages in our church speak something different? That actually, no, God made sex for married marriage, and he says the marriage bed is undefiled, and he says don't deny each other. So actually, our marriage is full of sex, and we love it, and it's the best thing ever. And could we just, not that you're going to go around telling everyone that particularly, but could we speak something different? I know Sarah has been able to chat to some of her friends and say, really, that, is that how it is for... For this amount of time, you know, we, we enjoy each other. And they're like, really? And our marriage speaks something different. And I hope that you might consider in your marriage, what is your marriage speaking? We are here to be influencers. Could we influence this area? And how about those of you who aren't married? Could your life speak something different? We live in a world where it's normal to sleep with each other. But could we bring heaven to earth? Could we bring the, the invasion of God's culture into our culture? Could we speak something different? Why? Because when you step out of his boundaries, you get hurt. You might think you're not, but you do. It affects you. And actually, could we demonstrate how to flourish in life? Could we demonstrate that living under God's boundaries isn't to harm us, isn't to be a killjoy, isn't to deprive us. It's actually to set us up to win in the long haul, which is actually what we always want to do anyway. So sex in God's context, sex in marriage, sex within the boundaries actually leads to life, actually leads to hope, actually leads to satisfaction. And things outside of those boundaries, unfortunately, don't. That is why Christians believe what they believe. There are many other reasons, but I only had time to unpack one. Here's an encouragement to you. Because you may be sitting here thinking, you know, the physical relationship in my marriage isn't great right now. You might be thinking, oh, as he's unpacked that, I've thought of all the different sexual encounters I've had, and oh dear, what have I been doing? You might be considering that right now, but Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verses 18 and 19, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to preach good news, to set people free, to set the captives free. So as you've been harming yourself and things have stuck to you and hurt, Jesus says, I've got the power to set you free from that. So it's not like I've messed up and now my life's ruined. No, no, no. 
I've messed up and I've made a different decision. Do you know the word repentance isn't about saying sorry. The word repentance is about changing direction and going a different way. So you could say, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm going a different way. That's repentance. And when you come to that place, Jesus is now I can set you free. I can take off you all the wounds, all the chains, all the hurt, the hardness that's got into your heart, the way it's changed you over the years. I can set you free from that and put you back on a path to be the best version of yourself that one day you might meet the very person you've dreamed of and have a really long and happy marriage which is fun-filled, full of life, full of love and all that you ever hoped for. How about we choose, and you get a choice, how about we choose to live within the boundaries that God sets so that we can flourish under the blessings of heaven because that's the best place to live. Hey, I, I hope that's been helpful. I hope that's given you lots to think about. I hope that's given you lots to pray about and talk about with your, your loved ones. It's a difficult topic. I hope I've been sensitive with it, but I hope I've also brought some challenge because I believe I speak the truth. I'd love to pray for you. Father God, just thank you for every amazing person who's tuned in to listen. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that as you can, you touch hearts, you touch minds that you'd bring healing to people who are hurt. You'd bind up their wounds. You'd take the chains off them. You'd set them on a path of life again. Lord, for those who are in marriages that are struggling, I pray for openness, for conversation, and for health to start. Lord God, I just pray as a couple they can make new choices and start on new journeys where life just explodes. Because Jesus, you said you came to give us the fullest life, not half-baked, killjoy life but the fullest life. And that includes the sexual side to our lives too, Lord God. So thank you, Jesus. I speak health, I speak wholeness, and I speak hope to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as with every other week, I always want to give people an opportunity to respond to Jesus. It's been my life journey and my life experience that when I allow Jesus to be the middle of my life, life just gets better. And to invite him in is just a prayer an agreement in your heart and a commitment to say I'm going to go on a journey with you Jesus it involves you saying I want you in the middle of all of my choices and I'm going to turn away from the things that have separated us and walk out with you and when you do that fullness of life comes your way you experience the blessings of heaven you can come and join a church where we're a great big family cheering each other on so I want to lead anyone who's at that place of saying I want Jesus in my life let's pray together Father God thank you for Jesus Thank you for revealing yourself to me. Today, I choose you. I invite you to come and live in my heart and to be central to my world. Help me to develop new thought processes and, and, and new actions and, and habits, Lord God, that honor you. Help me, Lord, on the journey. And I just know that you're going to take me to a place of fullness and hope. So you are welcome here. I say sorry for turning away from you, from keeping you out. But today, I choose to let you in. Come and be my Lord, Savior, and friend. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we're celebrating with you. And hey, if anything I've said has been helpful to you, I just bless it to you. Go and live your best life. You're an awesome person. I'm going to hand you back over to our worship team. God bless you.